What's up, guys? It's Matt. On this week's edition of the TKW Podcast, I first chat with Kyle Maggio and our long-lost buddy, Anthony Corbo, making his return to the pod. Just talk about everything that's going on. We talk some movie stuff. We talk about the Knicks tweet that we sent out about the dollars and spending on a lineup. We kind of just talk about that. Everything that's going on was great to have Corbo back. And then we bring on Connor Muldowney from Spartan Avenue to talk about Miles Bridges, what he can bring to the Knicks, what we might not know about him, his game, his three-point shooting, Tom Izzo's lineup decisions, everything under the sun. So without further ado, let's go. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. What's going on? And our long-lost buddy, Anthony Corbo. Corbo! What's up, up, buddy? Hey! I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Good to be back. Yeah, it feels good. It feels very, very good. In the (laughs) studio, behind my desk, the same one I've always been at. I was going to say, it's like uh, like you never left, right? Yeah, it's the same desk, in fact. From Ikea, it costs like 70 bucks. Um, It's a good desk. It's starting to fall apart, but... For the time being, I think it'll do for this podcast at least. Bro, I cannot describe to you how nice it is to have a desk. For the last, you know, three or four months I've been doing this podcast, I was sitting yeah. in my dingy apartment in Albany and I would pull out like a, a folding chair and I would throw it on oh, there and I would put my computer there and have to put my mic on top of my computer and talk straight into my computer. Dude, it's brutal. So this is way better. Well, we're here's living the a, high life now. We're killing it. Yeah, here's a pro tip I have what's essentially a doormat. Uh, but like a rug doormat on top of my desk to ask to act as like a audio filter essentially to stop the uh, wavelengths from bouncing around. Ah. So if you really feel like stooping down to my level, then put a rug <laughs> on your desk and you will forget just pretty much what it's like to be a regular person. Is that the only purpose the rug under the door serves? Yeah, no, that's the only purpose. <laughs> it, it's there for audio quality only and it leads me to believe I'm a bit obsessive. <laughs> so Kyle, what's up with you, man? What's going on? Uh, same old shit. I've got nothing, nothing exciting to to pitch to you guys here. What about your new mic, though? Um, oh, I can't hear myself through the mic. But <laughs> Just imagine it. You, you guys, sound really nice. Yeah, hopefully you guys can hear the difference. Uh, I splurged. I splurged on the snowball and the pop filter to not be outdone. So, you know, I'm feeling um feeling pretty good right now. I'm feeling pretty fancy. And the pop filter, guys. I want to just make sure we know. Kyle also got the pop filter. So if I think you're an official podcaster. The, yeah, if there's anything that the TKW podcast has like excelled in over the last two years, to see it's bringing in the pop filter. Yes. The one it's thing we do better than anything else. Yep. Basketball or anything. Video, whatever. Oh, Nothing no. It, it's, pop it's pop filter quality. <laughs> so, Ben fairly mundane amongst the the draft news kind of the stuff going around the Knicks we're still waiting on Ennis Cantor's decision but let's talk I guess a little briefly just about the finals I want to talk about the Warriors a little bit with you guys I was curious if you had any hot takes to throw off or if you feel differently than uh than anyone else really does I was pretty happy after game one in terms of the quality of basketball I was very upset with how it finished out but then the rest of the series was just kind of bleh 
it was almost to the point where I've kind of been anti-Warriors the whole time. When KD went to with the Warriors, I was unhappy with it for selfish reasons. He could do whatever the hell he wants. I don't care. Do you guys have any hot Warriors takes for me? Hot Cavs takes anything. I'm here for no, it. No, I mean, I'm mostly with you on the Kevin Durant thing. And, and I say this all the time because people, you know, want to be fake outraged over any time you don't like what they like because that's just what Twitter is. Um, KD stinks. He's a perfect basketball player, but he stinks. Stinks. It, it, it stinks, all right? I mean, it it ruined what could have been a really fun competitive rivalry. Remember, the Thunder were up 3-1 on the Warriors before they blew that lead before the you know Warriors ended up blowing their 3-1 lead in the following round. But it it just took, I, I don't know, it just made things really inevitable kind of needlessly. Like, and I, I know there's like these fake comparisons to the LeBron 2010 thing, but, I mean, LeBron didn't lose to the Heat well, after blowing a 3-1 lead and then... Many forget. Jo- and then here's joining the a, a record-setting team either, you know? Think about KD on the on the Warriors right now, right? Think about KD. Think about the Warriors before KD got there. Think about where they are now. Imagine their future, where there's a legitimate chance, although not likely, that LeBron James could join this team. And I don't know. Just having that kind of thought in the back of my mind has made me a little bit more okay with the uh, with the Warriors as they are at present. Hey, Corbo. Look, they, we're, yeah. we're less than five minutes into your next appearance on the podcast that you haven't been on forever, and you bring up LeBron going to the fucking Warriors in the first five minutes. Yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like you guys <laughs> kind of baited me there. What do you want me to do? Um, really? All right. So that's just kind of a thing that's out there. Let's get that out of the way. It's there. Here is the... I don't know if this is necessarily a hot take or not still, but... I feel like I enjoyed the first round of the playoffs this year more than the entire other three rounds combined. It was a good first round. It was. Everybody, you know what I realized the older I get to? Um, everybody hates, I mean, I know I, I get uh, chastised for hating everything, but everybody seems to hate everything. Like, I'll, I'll watch the first round. These, these games will go six good games, sometimes five really good games. Everyone's just like, wow, first round sucked, wasn't competitive. <laughs> This is disgusting. And then I'm like, I don't know. I watched a lot of really competitive first round games. I'm like, all right, maybe I was watching something else. Second round comes and goes. Same, you hear the same thing. Second round sucks. Da-da-da-da. Okay. The 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 conference finals show up. Nobody really complained. We got actually it was, you know, kind of unanimous. We got two game sevens, so nobody Conference Finals anything. is fun. But Without even even the finals, yeah. I saw people bitching about the finals. And yes, it was a sweep. There's no denying that the Cavs did not get a single victory in there. But game one was ultra fun. I think that's not up until like the, you know, mistake JR had at the end. But it was it was a really fun game as a whole. LeBron was perfect going up against the Warriors. It, it was what it was. Game two was, you know, kind of a clear victory for the Warriors. But the Cavs hung around still. Games three, uh, game three was very competitive too. And then game four was pretty good up until middle of the third quarter and then the wheels kind of fell off so like it wasn't this like i don't know everybody just likes to speak in absolutes like oh like the Cavs just lost you know from wire to wire each game by like 50 and it wasn't the case grind my games a little bit didn't the stakes feel so much lower in the finals compared to like the first round i feel like the first round had so many more teams like competing and really trying to assert their dominance Versus you get to the finals, and I feel like from game one, even the Cavs had already accepted that they were not going to win that series. 
Well, there's something to be said for that because the Warriors knew they were going to get to the finals the whole time, and obviously they had the scare in Houston, but when you're watching teams like the Jazz play in the first round, you know that there's this sense of desperation that they want to prove that they can mitigate the loss of Hayward and turn that into a good team. There's something to be said for that for sure. I think that's definitely an impact, and there's it's fun to watch some of these guys play in their first playoff series. Like it was awesome to watch Oladipo be awesome uh, for for the Indiana and against the Cavs. Like there was there was a lot to like in the first round. There's no doubt about it. Best thing that came from the first round was the confirmation that Oladipo was great because I remember last year I brought it up, you know, on Twitter and I brought it up to you guys and I was like, uh, but this is before he got moved for Paul George. But I was like, man, I. In a deal with OKC, I'd love to take uh, Oladipo back. And everyone's just like, hey, he sucks. And I was like, yeah, he's also still pretty young. He's put up pretty good numbers as a whole. I mean, if he is in the right situation, I'd like to have him. And everyone's just like, no, he sucks. Like, you know what he is. And I was like, all right, but I don't think so. I think there's plenty of time. And then he ended up being exactly what I thought he was going to be. And then I was like, ah, this is one of those few times you're correct about something to get to gloat about it. So, like, watching, like, I hate the Pacers, but, like, I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, ah, this is. This was required. This is what I needed so I can go rub it in people's faces. But Twitter told you he sucked, so he must suck. Yeah, Twitter told me uh, that he sucked, so <laughs> I, I guess I just got to take my L quietly and, and rescind all comments I just made. And what do you think about that uh, that Denver Nuggets ranking, Kyle? Uh, look, I don't want to go with... <laughs> it wasn't just the Nuggets ranking. It even had me somehow defending the Celtics, so I don't even want to dive too far into it, but it's absolutely preposterous. You, they had the Jazz do you really hate the Nuggets that much? Like, yes, I, 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 do. I don't understand how you cannot acknowledge that they have a really, really good young core. They do. The, the ninth overall core? No. Ah, uh, no. maybe. No. Yeah, no. I think maybe. No. no. You you really, like... Corbo, they were, they were ninth out west this year. They're, so, they're Yeah, but they're going to only get better. <laughs> There's only 30 teams in the league. Are they? League. Like, are you don't they? think they're, they're in the top third of the league, at least? No, Jokic took no leap that anybody thought he was going to take. Yeah, but fuck he Jokic. Did, he forget did, about, he did forget the, about he Jokic. Did exact same, he did the exact same shit that he you did the year forget, before. You also forget that they, they got Paul Millsap this year. Yes. They got who's going to be 34, 35 next year? Yeah, I get it. I also get that Jokic is a doughboy. But he's got a, he's got some versatility to his game too. They got a backcourt that looks really good. I would put them at least I, w- I would at least predict them to be in the top third of the league next year. They could fall apart too, and I'll give it to you. But come on, man. They have the I, depth. I, I, top third at least. Yeah, and I, I disagree. Not <laughs> you, they're not going anywhere until Jokic shows he can play some kind of passable defense, which. Um, Matt once told me that he's great okay. at because... Okay, we're going to do this right now, Kyle? We're going to do this right now, huh? I'm curious what those of you out there think. Every fucking opportunity he gets, man. I, it's so Kyle, every chance he gets. So Kyle has taken it upon himself over the last six months as we've grown closer to really needle me in Slack, which I love. I, I love it. I feed off it, especially about Didi Gregorius, who, by the way, had a shitty May, just like I said. Not to brag, I'm just saying. You said, I just want to clarify, you said he was going to have a bad year. He had one bad month after having a fantastic month. You have not been correct, my friend. Continue your point. We'll have to see his numbers at the end of the year, but I'm going to continue anyways. So, Jokic is a good rebounder mm-hmm. and does a good job of staying in the paint and contesting shots. So, I asked the question because it was an article on, five, uh, not 538, uh, cleaning the glass. Could Jokic be a passable defender even though he can't defend the pick and roll and can't do a lot of things that other big men can do? I didn't say that he was great by any means. 
And Kyle likes to think that I did say that. So anytime Jokic comes up, he just goes, hmm, makes you think. Matt thinks Jokic is basically Rudy Gobert 2.0. Almost what you said. Almost. Hey, I think listen, it was verbatim I think, what I said, actually. I don't actually. think that Jokic is Rudy Gobert 2.0, but I think he will be a, a passable defender in the league at Posi- some point. Positively won't be. <laughs> po- posit- he, he is who he is. He's not. He, it's not even just the shape that he's in. There's just no instincts on top of having the poor shape. Like, he doesn't rotate well. He doesn't get to his spots well. Unless he's standing directly in front of the fucking rim as somebody's barreling down and he just so happens to have been in the right position, he defends nothing at that level. It's just preposterous that anybody could think, look at him play defense year after year and go, oh, yes, this is going to be a guy who develops into a passable defense. That's not the hill to die on. You can make you can make your point and go, well, he's a game-changing I offensive player. I on that hill, that's for sure. Y- you could say he's a game-changing offensive player. And it's so much better than his defense, like worlds better that it ends up, you know, bringing such a positive impact to the game, which I still may not agree with 100 percent, but it's better than being, well, he'll be a passable defender. I just I simply cannot look, I, look if I, I got I, I to crow, I got to eat crow. But I, I just no, do I, not... feel it, I feel you. I understand. Like, I kind of I can echo every single thing that you're feeling about Jokic right now. At least double but down my, my whole point. At. Just bringing it back to where we started with Denver, because we somehow got on this Denver tangent. Uh, I think that Denver is probably the ninth best team in the league because it's not just Jokic, man. They have like they have a really good backcourt in Gary Harris and uh, Jamal Murray. I can't. Yeah, Jamal Murray. Who Kyle has I, said is better than Jokic, which is ridiculous. But again, continue. No, but still, I, 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 I Matt, Matt, if you forget on Twitter, you have to play both sides of the ball unless you're Nikola Jokic. Uh, Jamal Murray does exactly that. So I'm not going to penalize him now, uh, going by Twitter rules. Yeah. Of course. It's always Twitter and rules. It, I forgot. My mistake. You know, like, they might even find a way to retain Will Barton this summer, which gives them a really versatile piece to be able to use moving forward. And then they still have Millsap, who, you know, he may miss a year, but maybe he can put together another good year for them. He's going to be, like like, 43 next year. I understand that he's old. And I'm, I'm all – but, like, here's my point. You know, even if Millsap is old, even if Jokic is – is, you know, not still can't play defense for a lick of anything. Like, one of those things are going to pan out. And I think it's going to bring them a little bit further ahead than they were last year. And I think that's going to be enough to bring them into the top third of the league. I don't know if that means they're going to win a playoff series. I don't know if that means they get very far. But I think it's at least enough to uh, make them a little scary, at least. It's possible. Corbo, you said you saw Ocean's 8? I did see Ocean's 8, yeah. Did you like? Um... I don't know if I liked, but I didn't hate. I fell asleep a little bit. You fell asleep? A little bit. <laughs> I was really tired. I stayed up till like 2 the night before. It was a Friday night I went and went to the what, like the 10.30 movie or whatever. Oh, see, I can't yeah, do that. Yeah, I, I may have. I don't really remember the heist. I slept through most of the heist, to be honest. That was the best part. I know. I understand. It's an Oceans movie. Of course it's the best part. <laughs> but like... I don't know. I just, I'm not a Sandra Bullock fan. Yeah, I was curious why, because you seem to have a vendetta against Sandra Bullock, and I don't know if I've seen her in any movies where I was like, wow, that was just obnoxious, and I don't know why she's in yeah. this movie. But, I, I, I'm, not fo- I, I'm not fond of her, but Corbo, like, disdains her. Like, yeah, no, 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 you had a vendetta. Like, she turned, like, vanilla to me. She doesn't, yeah. like, move the Yeah, the that's, that's the thing. I think that's it. <laughs> I, she's just super vanilla, and that kind of, like, I don't know. I feel like she gets a lot of praise for being very plain. And listen, I th- I think that Sandra Bullock's a better actor than me, so I'm not gonna uh, you know 
I, I'm, I'm not going to say that she's not talented or anything like that, but I think that, you know, I've just, I've never been excited by a role she's been in. And even movies that I like that she's been in, I feel like could have been cast with other with other actors, and it would have been, I don't know, probably not, a little bit more exciting. You're not fond of the the MAGA Blindside. I'm not a yeah, <laughs> like Blindside did nothing. I remember watching that in like an assembly one time in high school, like at like the trade school I was going to. That was fucking crazy. It was like a reward for like being good students that quarter too, is we got to go to like the the conference room and watch Blindside and eat ice cream or something. Dude, she won but, Best Actress for that, too. That's crazy that to me. What year that's, was that? That's pathetic. That's two, I think it was 2009, pathetic. maybe. Yeah. 2009. I love how Michael Orr hates that movie because they made him so stupid in it. He's like, I'm not yeah. this dumb, guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, God. That's, uh, I feel like that's pre-woke America. Yeah, 2009. All right, let's talk yeah. a little Knicks here. Uh, so we ran a tweet this, just a few minutes ago, really. And it's been getting a ton of engagement. We were basically having you build your all-time Knicks team. So you've seen a lot of these things on Twitter where you have a certain amount of money that you have to spend on each guy. So our idea was to throw it out there and see what people thought. We're going to give some of our thoughts and build our teams and then talk about them. Kyle, I saw your team and our teams were actually pretty similar, which I thought was really interesting because we don't view basketball quite in the same way. And Corvo, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at this yet. But uh, briefly, but I'm pulling it up now and I'll, I'll make my decisions after Kyle goes. OK, sounds good. So basically you have 15 bucks. There's five, four, three, two, one. You got the tiers of players. Um, if you want to read along with us as we go, I don't want to read out every single one because it's going to be hard to remember. But feel free to pull up the tweet. And I'm sure some of you have already communicated with us, your teams. Kyle, would you like to give your team first and then I'll give mine? Yeah, yeah, I'll kick it off. So. Um, as you saw in the Slack chat, uh, Slack chat, I kind of agonized over this. I really was not sure. I think I, I had in my drafts on Twitter, I probably had three or four different versions that I was going with. The only constants that I had were Anthony Mason and Chris Apps Porzingis. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I felt like, okay, if I'm making a team, I'm making a team for the modern NBA. That's sort of. I think that's the common sense approach. That's how I thought unless, about it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's just what you would do to, if you're building an all-time team. It's got to be able to compete with any era, and the most lethal era mathematically is the one that has Steph Curry and the Warriors chucking threes from 40 feet out, and you, it's pretty hard to defend. So I figure you're going to need shooting. You're going to need some playmaking, uh, sort of similar to that kind of style, and I think they would be able to play across eras. So similar kind of idea not to say that this team is the warriors or anything of the like but okay that was my thought process so um i ended up going with stefan marbury jr smith larry johnson anthony mason and chris has porzingis and the way i viewed it was well in today's game you need an elite point guard when we traded for marbury as bad as it ended he was an elite point guard he had some good years with new york too let's not forget um, because of some of the off-court stuff that happened and, you know, his just front office relationship and uh, the stuff with D'Antoni. And, but he had some good good years. Um, he led them to their first appearance in a couple of years when he came back. They got swept by the Nets. But um, So I feel like you got to have an elite point guard. Marbury, I think, would be that, whether he's in, like, the top tier of today's guards or not or right below it. He's a guard that could really – 
I mean, get you in playoff contention for for sure, and maybe a little bit past that. Then um, a, a lot of this, the 15 here, I mean, there was shooting, but I felt like the shooters that we had were a little high up, and I wanted to get some of uh, that generational big man talent. So I wanted KP to kind of space things out, run the floor with uh, Stefan. And then I was like, well, you know who would fit really nicely with KP is a nice physical four, Anthony Mason. And, you know, Mace was not just your, you know, not like some Reggie Evans physical guy. I mean, Mace could actually play make and dribble and get up and down the floor. So I figure that is kind of a, a perfect fit. You know, that's sort of Draymondy, so to speak. Then I figure you add uh, JR for your three-point shooting abilities, and even Larry Johnson could step back and hit some. And I figure, well, there you go. You have some playmaking at about, you know, three, four different positions. You have shooting at a couple different positions. Um, I, I just feel like that's a really balanced team. So that's my Can I ask pitch. you something? Yeah. If, if I'm making my team right now, do I have – are we talking – like, do I get to go point guard, shooting guard down the line, or are we playing positionless basketball here? You can play positionless. You can do whatever you want. All right. Then Matt, you go, and uh, I'll be I'll be back in a minute. How is Jared Jeffries two dollars? Yeah, I'm happen? looking at that right now, and I'm almost <laughs> prone to pick him just because. Fuck that. And Kyle, I, I, sent, I sent the tweet out saying exactly that. And I was, was like, a big Jared Jeffries guy too, if I remember correctly. I, I you know I, I liked him because I felt like he got no 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 no. I just watched the play the other day of Jared Jeffries getting stuck <laughs> under the rim against the Celtics in the playoffs with oh. a clear, wide-open layup and oh. just freezing it's, it's and not, not being look, able to do anything look, about look, it. It's not forgivable. I'll probably get roasted tomorrow. But It's not forgivable. He, he played it's unforgivable. He, he played during a generally pretty terrible time for the Knicks and was asked to do a lot more than he was capable of. He had of. two chances. Uh, our, he had I'm not, two I'm not, fucking look, I'm not, chances. I'm not nothing either time. I'm not excusing that instance. At all. I'm just saying, as a whole, he was here for quite some time. And during that time, they asked him to do a lot of shit that he probably shouldn't have been doing. Um, so him being... Him, yeah, so I mean, him being here is kind of silly. Um, yeah, I, everyone was mad at like, oh, why is Melo $5? How is Houston $5? How is Bernard King only 4 Like, we got a lot of those kinds of comments. And, and guys, seriously, I mean, shut the fuck up a little bit. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a meme. It's, it's, a, it's, a it's a little meme you have fun with. At 8, 8 p.m. at night on Yo, a fucking Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, let's let's argue a little bit. That's what makes it fun. I mean, exactly. Well, Mike Bibby on this list. If, oh my if God. it was all if it was all logical, it would make sense. Then there would be no fun in it. The point is, it's a little bit off balance, and you got to try to make the pieces fit. So just f- fucking figure it out, guys, and stop whining. But I love Cor- the pricing. The Jeffries at two had me crying because I and then the having Bargnani and Turioff on there was fantastic. We, we you mean Tony Roten. Tony yep. Roten. There's a piece on the <laughs> Knicks.com from 2016 that I wrote about Tony Roten and what he could bring to the Knicks. Never played a second for the Knicks. Not, Not a single second. second. All right, All let, right. Me uh, give, Matt, let me give my team. Give me yeah. your team. Yeah. So I had Raymond Felton, J.R. Smith, Larry Johnson, Latrell Spiruel, and KP. So my mindset was kind of like Kyle's in that I wanted shooting. So my first thought was KP because I wanted a guy like Kyle mentioned – I want a rim protector, and I want a guy that can space the floor. So he's playing the five. I wanted a four next to him. Basically, I wanted both of my forwards to be versatile. So I thought about Mace, too, but I wanted the three-point shooting. So I went with Spreewell and Johnson, who are two guys that can basically shift defensive assignments. They can both shoot threes. I liked having that versatility in the front court. 
And then my backcourt's definitely weaker, but hear me out. And I think it's something that will relate to exactly what Kyle said when we're talking about the pricing. When we're thinking about this, we can think about these players in any iteration that we like. So Mello, peak Mello, 2012-13, third place finish in the MVP voting 30 points per game Mello is worthy of a $5 slot. I thought Raymond Felton in 2010, averaging 17 and 10 playing next to Amari at $1 was a bargain. If you give me that guy... You know that's not 2010 Felton. That's who I'm picking. It doesn't matter what year I pick, it does it. Okay. That's what I'm doing. You pick the peak version of these guys, do you not? I think think peaks slash at least when they were playing for the team. Okay, so even give me... 2012 13 Felton was still pretty good. So I'll take yeah, a combination yeah, of like, those guys. I'll give it to you. I get it. It's just 2010 Felton was a fluke. I think we all need to acknowledge that as Knicks fans at this point. Sure, but if I... you balance the two, and it's not like it was that much of a fluke. He was scoring well and he played with his perfect running mate, which I that's why I like the idea of him running pick and roll with some of these guys. I liked and I like having JR on the Knicks, JR was such a good three-point shooter. I thought it's the best defense he played of his whole career, which when he was actually trying and not on Cleveland and just not even putting any sort of effort into it. I liked my versatility and my switchability amongst my players, and that's what I wanted. Three-point shooting, switchability in the front court that those guys can go out and defend guards, and that's why I picked this team. And I defend my backcourt. I know some people would think my backcourt's weak. I'm totally fine with it. Could you just give me that one more time? Felton, JR, yep. LJ, Spree, KP. Okay. Can I give you mine? Go for no. it. Let's hear it. All right. I am going to do... I'm going to start with Patrick. And I'm going to take Marbury. And then give me Oak. Give me Mason. And then I'm having a tough time right here. My heart wants me to take Michael Beasley. <laughs> but the practical side of me wants me to take Wilson Chandler here for some shooting. Um, I think I'm going to take Wilson Chandler because I feel like with Chandler, with uh, with Patrick and Stintz and with Marbury, you have enough outside shooting to kind of keep up with things. But I do firmly believe that the league in the next couple of years are going to shift a little bit more inside. So, so I want to so have a team that's going to be able to keep up with that. So I'm going to take Oakley and Mason and put that dynamic duo back together while having enough three-point shooting on the outside to be able to keep me afloat in the coming years. I'm going to double down on your team, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to anger a lot of people. So you're telling me you're going to give the 90s Knicks and Patrick Ewing the point guard that they deserved? I guess so, yeah. I did just pick the 90s Knicks, didn't I? I didn't even realize that. And Wilson Chandler. Because, I I mean, if you put... Prime Marbury on that team instead of John God Starks. Yeah, things go insane. Oh, things go dramatically well, no, better. Hold on. <laughs> you shouldn't think about it like that. You should think about it as Marbury instead of, you know, like Harper, because he was the point guard. Starks wasn't the point guard. Marbury's a point guard. In this version of this team, John Starks isn't on the team, and Stefan Marbury is. I mean, well, it, here's this. Well, all right, all right, think of it like this. I see what you're saying. Who is, more, who is more valuable teams. to that team, Wilson Chandler or John Starks? Not John Starks. I kind of think Chandler because <laughs> of shooting, right? Starks I don't know, is, man. It, 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 it starts the classic case of us overrating a legend a little bit. He had plenty yeah. of good years, but you look back at his stats and they're not great, and obviously the bad finals performance. We loved his tenacity. And it's not as relatable for me. I don't want to sound like a a stupid millennial because I wasn't alive during his great run, so I don't have that same attachment. So I'm able to 
extrapolate myself a little bit and take myself out of it, but... Be, be correctly objective about it, yes. Of course. So that's not completely fair. So I totally understand that. I totally why, see why people would pick Starks, but especially at the price level, a $3 versus a $1, you take Chandler, I think. It certainly makes sense. Uh, quick thing on Chandler before, I don't know how much longer we go on for this part, but when I was looking at the picture that Bailey had thrown together um, for this particular exercise, I forgot that he had the that tattoo directly on his neck of whatever small child that appears to be. It's terrifying. And I actually thought Bailey secretly photoshopped something onto Wilson Chandler's neck. Oh, no. And I almost had a heart attack because, you know, we, we discussed everything before it goes out. Not that we don't trust Bailey, but I thought he, like, slid something wild in. No, that but, tattoo is wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then I then I clicked on it, and then I zoomed all the way in, and I was like, oh, that's just Wilson this does Chandler. This not look great with the jersey. Can I change my team, by the way? It, sure. Yeah. Last-minute yeah. adjustment, I guess. Okay, yeah. Just because it's your first adjustment. time back in a while. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to take uh, Wilson Chandler. I'm going to take Anthony Mason. I'm going to take Bernard King. Uh, I'm going to take Marbury, and I'll take Willis Reed. I think so that's you, right. So you really mixed up your team there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did. No, I had to make it. Like I decided to take basically uh, Bernard King over Anthony Mason, but I had to make adjustments based on you know the money. Yeah, my so. my my secondary team that I killed before it. You know, before I ended up tweeting, it was going to be uh, Ewing at the five, Mello at the four. Um, I think That's it was a lot of money immediately out. Well, well, yeah, but the thinking was you can take three ones after that. My God. Uh, well, uh, this is this is where it got tricky because I wanted those two, but then now now I'm ten dollars in the hole. Hey, you fucking taking Raymond Felton it, 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 and well, Chandler? I, I, no, I think I was gonna still. Twenty ten was pretty good. I think I was still gonna use Jr. I think I was gonna use Felton. Wait a and, second. Okay. Okay. No, go ahead. You I, take Jr. Felton. I think that's actually where it got stuck. I think I think that's as far as I got before realizing that I didn't want to do that team anymore. You could still take another two dollar person. Yeah, but the you could two, have David Lee. You want David Lee? Uh, I mean, you could you could probably just swap Wilson Chandler out. Um, I don't think we're doing math right. Yeah, no, no. I was gonna say you could probably just do Jr. Wilson Chandler and then like Jeremy Lin. And are I you feel trying like to that'd... save a buck? No, I wasn't trying to save a buck. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was trying I was, to take I one home. I was trying to. I was trying to make. It, I was trying to make a team not suck, but it didn't seem possible. It's when you pure... when you go with two fives, you, you end up scrapping the bottom scraping the bottom of the barrel. And Ronnie Ronnie Turioff, Andrea Bargani, and Michael Beasley are not some of the guys you want to have to consider at a time like that. Yo, speaking of taking money home, I played left or right center today and lost a shit ton of cash. Don't you play that game with quarters? No, we played with bills. Oh, I was gonna say Ballers. you must have lost a lot of money if you're. How many times did you lose? Uh, like three or four. Oh, okay. Put a couple of hands. Is that just like, a dice game, right? I don't think I've ever yeah. played it. I mean, like, by a shit ton of money, I mean, like, 15 bucks. But, you know. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's not I've too bad. I've lost more but... at the poker table. I hate to admit so, it. But... So have I, but I haven't lost as much to my coworkers, I don't think. Yeah. Maybe I have. Uh-huh. All right, so we're going to give Connor a call. Corbo, thanks for hopping on. We're going to give Connor. We'll talk about Miles Bridges a little bit. So we'll be back in a second. All right, yeah, this is productive. <laughs> 
All right, we're back. We'd like to welcome on Connor Muldowney of Spartan Avenue. Connor, how's it going, man? Good, how are you? Good. So we're bringing on Connor to talk about Miles Bridges, who's an option for the Knicks at number nine. Been a lot of talk about what he can bring to the table. I mean, no, he had a great sophomore year after returning after the freshman year in which he was presumably going to be a lottery pick. Connor, I'm curious, from the Michigan State perspective, how much of an impact do you think it had that he decided to return for that sophomore season? Uh, for him, I think it, it worked out great. I mean, they had the early exit in the NCAA tournament, which he's kind of received a lot of criticism for, whether it's fair or not, doesn't really matter. Um, he's matured as a person, and he became a much better leader overall. And I think NBA teams are starting to realize that he's one of the more mature players in the draft, even though he's coming out as only a sophomore. So I think staying that extra year, I mean, in some people's eyes, that's damaged good. Sophomores are kind of old nowadays in the NBA draft, but I think it'll do them plenty well in the NBA. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Uh, I think that coming back, really, he was able to really turn some part of his game into something that we hadn't seen as a freshman. You know, I know his percentages and his stats kind of stayed the same, but it was the little things, like you mentioned, being a leader, playing with another great guy in Jaron Jackson was awesome for him. Uh, under Izzo's tutelage, because personally, when I watched a lot of Michigan State games, I had an issue with the lineups he would throw out because I didn't love having Bridges at the three. <laughs> I thought that they shouldn't have played Nick Ward and Gavin Schilling as much as they did. I'm curious if that was something that you guys also felt, and did you feel that it negatively impacted Bridges' game and potentially stunted his growth at all? Uh, well, there have been a lot of uh, this, there's been a lot of discussion regarding Izzo's lineups yeah. and, and kind of his mishaps and misusage. Um, Bridges at the three, though, I think was always the plan because uh, I think. The reason he wanted to come back, too, is because he wanted to play the three because he feels that's his more natural position. And um, Michigan State just didn't have any bigs when he was a freshman, so he was forced into the post way too much. Um, so he could be like a two or a three type of guy. He could play anywhere from two to four. But I think he, he's best off of the three. But as for the lineups, yeah, I mean, if, if Izzo kind of broke out of his uh, – his caveman-like ways and joined the 21st century, I, I think you would have seen more production from Bridges. But he put a lot of trust in Bridges, and, I mean, he was never truly affected by the lineups. I would say Jaron Jackson was affected the most by that. Are you guys down on Izzo in general? Is that a thing? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> living in Michigan, you can hear it from the rival fan base since John Beeline yeah. and Michigan have kind of – been on fire lately but no I wouldn't say we're down on him but he definitely he definitely has to adjust with the times I think that's kind of the major um want from the fan base is he's he likes to live in a you know I have two big men on the floor at all times type of age and that's just not how it is anymore and it's it's the antithesis to the NBA Correct, correct. Yeah. I mean, he, he won the Big Ten title. I mean, they only lost, what, three, four games this year. Yeah, they were great all but, year. But he just, and when it mattered, he didn't have the right lineups and he made mistakes. And he's still a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, nobody's going to knock him completely, but yeah, he's got to adjust. A big debate for Knicks fans, and I don't know how much Big East basketball you got to watch this year, has been 
the McHale Bridges and the Miles Bridges running, and it's been a conflict. Who's better? Who would be the best option for the Knicks to take? We had a Villanova guy on the other, I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago, to talk about what makes McHale so great and that type of matchup. Is there anything you think, comparing those two, that really makes Miles stand above McHale? The one thing, because I haven't watched much of McHale this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched him in the championship a little bit. Um, I just, there's not really anything. That, if you look at their numbers, they're so similar in so many categories. Well, one thing that, st- one thing that stands out on the stat sheet is the rebound totals. McHale, same height, doesn't get as many rebounds. I think it's like he averages two points, something less than Bridges. Um, I think that some bridges brings to the table from the wing spot as he can go up and get that rebound. He's athletic enough to, you know, body, body around in the paint. And that's another thing too, is he's more NBA ready is in terms of build bridges is, is a sick guy. He's not, he's not going to go down easy. He, um, and if you look at bridges, he's compared to, to miles, he's a, he's a little toothpick, um, I think Miles Bridges' NBA body is something that teams should, you know, want more. I guess mm-hmm. in a player is because my or Mikhail just. I mean, you can see it just from looking at pictures. Miles is, is a thick dude. Mikhail not so much. Yeah. Comparing those two, also, there's something to be said for just the the leadership that they showed and what they were able to attain by by coming back to school and a big part of the comparison too comes down to their three-point shooting and people think of Mikhail as this great three-point shooter and it's true he's he was fantastic he improved but I think Miles sometimes we forget he was 36 percent this year he was 39 percent last year and that's in an offense that had some space struggles. And I know it's college, and college is so much different than the pros. But you watch the highlights. He's able to get those threes off in time. He got some great passes. He They moved the ball. He can be a good three-point shooter in the NBA, no? I, I believe he can. I think that his numbers don't really signify how good of a shooter he really is. 36% not great for a college three-point shooter. Uh, 39% as a freshman, it's all right, but it's, you never want to see a dip. But I think the only reason you saw the dip is because he tried to settle too much for three-pointers, and when you take more, you miss more. Mm. So, yeah, he, he has three-point ability, and he has a, a nice stroke, and you know he's a smooth finish. But um, as long as he doesn't settle for that outside shot and actually uses his athleticism to get to the hoop, I don't think – I mean, I, I think he could be a 35 to 40% three-point shooter in the NBA. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, to Miles, too, I'm glad you mentioned his athleticism because I read an article uh, earlier this week that was talking about his free throw shooting and how his percentage has improved, but he doesn't really get to the line enough for a guy with his build. And he can really get in with the bigs, attack the rim more. We've seen him do it off the dribble. The move that sticks out a lot is that move against Michigan when he kind of hit him with the hezzy dribble and then he went past and laid it in for the and one. I just, oh, yeah. I, I love that move. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, I just want to see more of that from him. And it's been a concern of mine watching him, especially in college. He settled a lot for that mid-range shot. And Knicks fans mm-hmm. aren't going to like to hear it, but I just saw some mellow in his game sometimes. It just made me a little queasy. Yeah, very much yeah. so, I think. Yeah. I think his his free throw shooting that's that's definitely a positive that it went up I think like seventeen percent from his freshman to his sophomore year. Yep. He got more comfortable at the line than 
didn't get so nervous like he did as a freshman. And I think the reason that he didn't get to the line, even though he is athletic and he has the NBA body and he's not afraid to bang around in the post, is because, like you said, he, he settled for those shots. But he just gets in these grooves where, I mean, if he, if he makes a three-pointer next time down the court, you can almost bank on him shooting another one. He, he's the king of the heat check. Mm. Um, I, it's, it sometimes gets him in a rut because then he'll try to shoot his way out of it. But I just have a feeling that he doesn't trust his dribble drive enough. Like his handle is, is pretty decent for a six, seven to 230 pound guy. But I don't know if he trusts himself driving to the hoop or, you know, getting to the lane and cause he, he's had turnover issues in the past as well. So I yeah. think that's why you don't see enough free throws from him. Mm-hmm. Connor, my question for you is where do you think he's best served playing at the next level? Because I hear a lot of talk, and I can see him playing a little bit of both. It is positionless basketball. He's not necessarily locked into one spot on the floor. But I just want to get your feeling on if you think he's you know, going to thrive a little bit more at the three or maybe the four. Because um, I know we make these Car- uh, Carmelo comparisons a little bit. And Car- Carmelo was a guy who, you know, when he did play at the four, saw great success and probably – you know, should have been more inclined to do that earlier in his career. So is this one of those things where, you know, maybe he'd be best served miles coming in and just plugging away at, you know, quote unquote, the four or mixing it up a little bit, or what do you think? I think he, his, uh, departure from college reminds me a little of Draymond green, just because Draymond green went to Michigan state kind of not the tallest guy, not the most athletic, but obviously bridges is athletic didn't have a position and that's kind of what Bridges is right now. He, he could play the two, he could play the three, he could play the four. Um, honestly, as a freshman, when he, when he posted up, when he played the four, he did really well. And as a sophomore, when Michigan state needed a bucket and as I told him to go down the post and, and back his guy down, he made most of his shots. He, he has a soft touch around the rim. Um, he has the body for it. He, he's not the tallest guy, but his athleticism makes up for it. I think he can play the four, and I think that he would do really well at it. But that would probably get him away from his, his wing position. That would get him away from shooting those threes, which might actually be a good thing for his career. So, yeah, he could definitely play the four, but he might be moved around wherever he lands. I mean, he two, three, four, I could see him at any of them, but I think four might actually be good for him in the NBA. I keep, you know, seeing people talk about him as potentially the best athlete going in this draft. And, I mean, he certainly has a case for it. But normally when I feel like anyway, when I see people talk about how great an athlete is, usually they have those odd measurables that you can Mm -hmm. go with. Like, oh, well, his wingspan is 14 feet wide. I mean, so, you know, they, they project this good athlete now or great athlete now growing into something truly special. But then Miles has kind of a shorter wingspan than maybe you would see. So I was wondering if there's any concerns about that at all, maybe going to a bigger, longer league, or is that just kind of an overblown thing in your opinion? I personally think it's an overblown thing that the guy's a freak. I've covered a few of his games and he's done things that I've never seen anybody do. Like he, he can dunk over anybody. He can make ridiculous, you know, double clutch layups and mm-hmm. he's he's an athlete i don't think his measurables might not be the best but 
more than makes up for it with this athleticism. The dude is an absolute freak. I agree. I think the, I think we get a little bit uh, too skewed towards that way these last mm-hmm. like five or six years, where we're just trying to hit the home run on a guy with you know a wild wingspan or a wild vertical at the combine. I think it gets right. a little bit out of hand. And it goes both ways, too, because there's been a lot of talk about Trey Young and how short he is and how short his wingspan is. And then you have yep. the opposite end of the spectrum with Bamba, where it's, okay, let's not watch any tape. Let's just see that his wingspan is 7'10", and that's the only thing we care about, you know? It all it's you, can have a, you can have an 8-foot wingspan and not know how to play basketball. Yeah, and you're so, good. Oh, First round pick. His, yeah, look at the team to beat, you know? I mean, <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. It does. All right, Connor, last question for you. Is there anything we love to ask this to all our guys that come on to talk about each prospect because you guys have the best perspective. Is there anything about mm-hmm. Miles that you think maybe hasn't been covered by the national media when they're talking about the, the prospects, the draft, anything that we've been seeing in tape? Is there anything we should know about him that we might not know? I think, honestly, even though he's always been, you know, one of the best players at his level, high school, college, going into the NBA, um, He's probably one of the most humble people I've actually ever come across. Uh, he, he will never take credit for anything. He always praises his teammates. He's Tom Izzo has called him, un, or he's called him unselfish to a fault because he always wanted him to take over games and just shoot any shot he possibly could, but he was always looking for the open teammate. He's super unselfish, super humble. And that's not really something you see nowadays from these, you know, top tier prospects going into the NBA, knowing that they're going to make millions of dollars. He's definitely cut from a different cloth. And that's the type of stuff you love to hear. Makes it easier to coach. Absolutely. All right, Connor. Hey, thanks a lot for hopping on. Uh, If Bridges ever comes to the Knicks, I'm sure we'll bring you on again. Talk about what he could bring. So, hey, thanks a lot. Catch Connor over at Spartan Avenue Fansided. All right. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 